All right, let's jump into the sermon, shall we? Um, so uh, with graduation just around the corner, uh, uh, you know, I thought I'd have a little bit of fun and, and take a moment and put myself in the shoes of a high school graduate. Now, I, I recognize the world has changed a lot since I was in high school, so I, I needed some help to find an answer to the one question that every single high school student is faced with. What do you think? What's the question? What are you doing after graduation? Or this question, what should I do when I graduate, right? So with that question in mind, I went to the one place that would give me the most common answers from the largest pool of people in the world, the greatest measure of wisdom that we have. I went to the internet. (laughs) And I Googled it, and here are the answers that I got. I actually have a slide up here on the screen for my search. Here are the answers. Seven things you could do after high school. Number one, start working. Number two, start a business. Number three, do an internship. Number four, volunteer. Number five, take time to find yourself. Number six, improve your grades. Number seven, work abroad. So high school students, whether you're graduating here or not, if you're looking forward to graduation, there you go. There are your options. Work on your career path towards, uh, through schooling or on-the-job experience or take time to find what you most enjoy. Now, quick show of hands. How many of us heard something like this when we were getting ready to graduate? Okay, maybe not a whole lot. That's actually a good thing. All right, so, but here's, here's the reality for us, right? Here's the two quick questions. Why is this the main advice that's being passed down? Why is this advice that's being passed down to younger generations? And number two, what is it communicating about where meaning and purpose are found in life? Now, if you're joining us this morning for the first time or you're coming back after being gone, we're in the middle of a series called Above All. And we're working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossian church where he's reaching out to a group of people that he really hardly knows. And because of his heart towards them, he is calling them to be a church that is rooted and centered in Christ. And so as we're working through Colossians, we're asking the question, what does it mean for us as individuals and as GREFC, the church right here in Grand Rapids, to have an identity where we are rooted and centered in Christ and he is above all in our life? Now, this morning we're going to be jumping into just a few short verses where Paul begins to draw a contrast between a life and identity that is full and filling and one that is not. And as we drill down into the issue of identity, there are a lot of paths that we could, and I gotta be honest, we should walk down together. But we don't have time for that. And so in light of Grad Sunday and in light of Mother's Day, we're gonna narrow in on just two paths together this morning. The first is to think about the next generations. As students are preparing to enter into life beyond high school, where is the youngest generation, and I'm talking those college and down, where are they looking to find their identity? And here's the second path we're going to go down. We're going to look into our own lives, and we're going to consider our aims as we engage with the younger generations. See, as 
adults and parents in the church, what does it mean to have an attitude and a focus of spiritual protection towards them as they're putting down the roots of their identities? Now, before we jump into our text this morning, I want to remind us of the attitude with which Paul is writing to the believers in Colossae and Laodicea. And we actually spent time looking at this last Sunday with Pastor Ken. And so I would encourage you, if you weren't here, please check that out online. It'll help um, you get a taste, a deeper taste of the attitude that Paul has. So immediately before where we're picking up today in Paul's letter, Paul shared this deep desire that at the core of who the Colossians are, that they would be rooted and built up in their identity in Christ. In fact, he feels this so deeply that a lot like a parent looking to protect their kids, he has the aim and desire to protect other people just like that. But the protection that he has in mind isn't a physical protection. It is a protection that is focused intensely on the spiritual world and how the spiritual world affects one's view of life and response to everything that they're coming across. And this desire is so deep in Paul that he struggles and feels almost to the point of agony inside of him that the Colossians and others would grasp hold of the riches of a relationship with Jesus. Now, as followers of Jesus, as physical parents and spiritual parents, many of us know the agony of wanting to see others grow up and grasp onto Christ. And a quick shout out for you moms out there. I'm pretty sure a lot of you are screaming on the inside an amen on that one. But see, Paul here, he's modeling again what it means to be a spiritual parent. And his deep desire isn't just for his family and his kids. It includes everyone that he's coming across. So Paul, pouring out his heart on behalf of these Colossians, he goes on to call out dangers to an identity that is rooted in Christ. And this is where we're picking up this morning. We're picking up right in Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn there and maybe mark some things up that stand out as we go along. And also the the verses are going to be up on the screen as well. Here's what Paul says. Pick it up in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, what in the world is going on here? See, Paul, he's already expressed his desire to spiritually protect the Colossians, but but now we're getting to the heart of it. We're getting to see the heart of Paul's concern towards the Colossians. So let's let's walk back through verse 1 again. So, see to it that no one takes you captive. Okay, let's pause there and think about that phrase just for a moment. For someone to be taken, to become a captive, it means that they have to be taken from a place from where they are free to a place where they're chained up and trapped by someone or something else. Now, a lot of times what, what comes to mind, or, or at least maybe my mind, 
are, are these epic battle scenes where, you know, the hero, he, he's working really hard, he's fighting really hard, and he just doesn't quite make it, and he gets thrown into prison. They're chained up and they're stuck. But that really isn't quite the picture that Paul is painting here as he's writing to the Colossians. It's a little bit more like this. Don't let someone trick you into thinking that they are giving you freedom when you've really become their slave. Now, here's a question. Why would Paul think that we'd be so naive as to be tricked into becoming slaves? Hold on to that question for a moment, and we're going to go into the verse to look at what Paul identifies that we can be taken captive by. Paul says to not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, or as the footnote in other translations would say, instead of elemental spirits, which I think is a little bit more helpful for us to see it this way, the foundational principles of the world. Now, on a quick glance at this, it sounds a little bit like Paul would be telling graduates today or or people today something like this. Don't be taken in by the philosophy department at school. Avoid cults. They're just out to trick you. And, And that spirit statement sounds a lot like demonic stuff, so avoid anything like that too. But, but Paul, he's really pointing to something that is a much wider and also far more subtle. See, Paul is concerned that what the Colossians will build their life upon, what will shape the lens through which they view themselves and their life will be something else. It will be a philosophy, a tradition, a foundational teaching or belief that is generally accepted by everyone and appears to offer fulfilling purpose and identity, but it's not Christ. And because it's not Christ, in God's perspective, it is in reality an empty identity. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, here's here's the first point for your notes. Empty identities are subtle. See, Paul is warning the Colossians so that their identity will not be sneakily taken captive because these other empty identities are so subtle. If they were obvious, the Colossians would be quick to fight back and avoid them. But because they're so widely accepted and encouraged by the world, and I got to be honest, sometimes in our own lives as well, they require intentionality to pause and view them through God's eyes to see them for what they are. One of the biggest questions of our life is this. What is my purpose in life? Or maybe to put it another way, what gives my life meaning and purpose? Now, the reality is this question is already rolling around inside our minds and hearts in middle school. And by high school graduation, it is the question behind all the other questions, including, what should I do when I graduate? So how do we normally answer the question of where we find meaning and purpose? Like, what do we normally do? We pursue what we find to be the most personally satisfying in our lives. And that becomes where we build our meaning and purpose in life. 
Now, in, in another Google search, I, I threw Google this question. What, what gives life meaning? Here's what I got back. For some people, purpose is connected to vocation, meaningful, satisfying work. For others, their purpose lies in their responsibilities to family or friends. Now, here's how this affects our identity. Where we find our personal source of meaning and purpose is where our identity becomes rooted. Second bullet point for your notes. Empty identities are taught as wisdom. Now, when I was in high school, I told one of my Christian classmates that my working goal for my life was to spend time investing into the lives of other people, building relationships with them so that they might know Jesus. To this, my my classmate looked at me and and said basically something like this, oh, so you're going to be a bum. Another time, sharing with a a family member that my plan after high school was to go to school to become a pastor, this family member sagely turned to me and told me this, marry a rich girl then, because you're never going to have any money. Now, I got to be honest, I definitely ignored that advice. Uh, I married a pastor's daughter, and and I could not be more happy about that. But but here's the question, right? In, In both of those situations, Why did my life direction look so foolish? Here's what I believe the message was. Without a high-paying job to give me money, I will never be able to be satisfied in this life. It looked like wisdom, but, but was it rooted in Christ? And if not, was it really wisdom? Now, understand, the wisdom that was given to me had to do with money. But understand, there are a lot of other things that claim to offer us meaning and purpose in life. They look like wisdom, and so we build our life, our identity on them. But are they Christ? And if not, are they really all that wise? Third bullet, empty identities replace Christ. See, Paul knows this, which is why he's warning the Colossians so they don't begin building their identities on empty substitutes and not in Christ. Now, we may still have a relationship with Jesus, but when something else becomes more satisfying to us, we replace our identity in Christ and put a new identity in, its place, in his place. We have substituted Christ for someone or something else. Now, the question is, how do, we, how do we see this if this is happening? And here's, here's one way to check if we're substituting for something other than Christ. If that someone or something in your life was to go away, would Jesus still be enough in your life? The question is, what might we be substituting for Christ? And what does it reveal to us about where we're finding our identity? Okay. Three bullet points. Empty identities are subtle, are taught as wisdom, and replace Christ. Now, let's think about how is this affecting the youngest generation? How is this affecting Gen Z? What philosophies of life and human traditions are being promoted and bought into from before junior high all the way up through college? In other words, students, this is for you, What is being encouraged in your life as something that is a solid foundation 
to build your sense of self and personal value on. Now, understand, this will be different from student to student and situation to situation. But I believe that there are three main places that are really being promoted, especially for you students. So if you're a student and one or more of these hit home for you, I would encourage you to consider sharing that with your parents. Let them know what you're facing. At the same time, parents, I would encourage you to not wait for your student to come to you first. Carve out time to have a conversation and and hear what they think. Hear what they're facing. Now, from my own experience and research, there are three core beliefs of Gen Z when it comes to one's identity. These are the next three bullet points for your notes. Who I am is based on my achievements, what is most fun for me, and who I'm attracted to. Now, I had to ask the question, and maybe, I hope you guys are doing this too, what, are these three things, like, are they just a Steve thing? Like, is he just making these up out of the blue? Or, or is there someone else who is out there who's seeing these things too? So I did a little bit of digging, and I was like, okay, what, what are people, have people asked this question? What are they seeing? And as I did so, I came across a Barna study. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Barna is an or, a research organization that tracks cultural trends that are happening, and they connect them with spiritual topics and trends. So Barna dug into this, in this particular study, into what youth are building their identity on. And they asked the following big question. And you might be able to, I've got a slide up on the screen, you might be able to see it there. It says this. My fill in the blank is very important to my sense of self. And here's what they found. The top three responses, and if you're looking at the graph, these are those that are on the far left moving towards the right. So number one is on the very far left. Here's, what, here's the top three responses. Number one, professional education and achievement at 43%. Number two, hobbies and pastimes at 42%. And number three, gender and sexuality at 37%. Now, you might also note that religion and religious beliefs are ranking at number six, tying with family background. And here was one of Barna's conclusions as they went through the study. They said this, while all adult generations say family is most important to their sense of self, Gen Z's identity is most defined by personal achievement. Now, let's unpack, the, unpack these a little bit further, these, these top three things a little further, because I feel like they deserve a little bit of time to, to think through and wrestle with. Let's start with achievement, right? Barna also went on, and they, they continued to ask a question, like, what are, what are the goals in life that Gen Z is the, they're owning? So here's, here's what they found. Here, there's a, a quote for this one up on the screen. Gen Z's goals focus primarily on professional success, and financial security. In this study, most Gen Z indicated that their ultimate goal in life was to be happy, and they defined happiness as financial success. Now, here I need to remind us of how this affects our identity. We pursue what we believe will be most satisfying, which becomes our meaning in life, which is where our identity becomes rooted. 
However, understand an identity and achievement is a lot wider than just financial success. And it also goes a lot deeper. See, one of the, one of the things that as I was talking with students, it kind of boggles my mind a little bit, but students are choosing career paths at younger and younger ages in order to pick the right classes that they need in order to become competitive in their desired career. And this continues to drive the pressure to succeed because their future career and potential happiness hangs on every grade, class, and extracurricular that they do. In other words, the pressure to be defined by what they achieve is not only dependent on their future destination, but success at every little step along the way. Understand, this is where it runs deeper, but it also runs a little bit wider than just career. Because understand, there's tremendous pressure in sports to achieve. To get to that next level or to be washed out. And there's internal pressure with grades where getting the best grade possible will feed into how well you do or do not feel about yourself. And it can go on. Yet the question is, underneath the surface, what's going on? See, all of these are fueled by the belief, the philosophy and tradition that what you achieve in life will satisfy you and fill your life with meaning. But does it? Does this philosophy and tradition of achievement line up with Jesus, or is it an empty identity? Okay, what about the next one? What about an identity placed in what is most fun for me? Or or maybe to put it differently, what gives me pleasure? Now, this is about more than just hobbies and pastimes. It, It can include serving others. It could be watching a great, the next great TV show. It could be video games, cheering on your, your favorite team. It could be a relationship or really anything else that makes you feel the most happy and provides a sense of purpose in your life. Yet the question is, what is hidden under the surface of this identity? See, what is the philosophy about life that is being bought into? I think, I think it's this. It's the belief that the purpose of life is to get the most pleasure out of it for yourself while avoiding as much pain as possible. But if this is the reality, if this is the case, then ultimately our lives will end up turning inward and becoming intensely self-focused. And it can even come out in something like serving others, where it ultimately can become about how you feel after you've been how will you feel about yourself after you've been serving? Or maybe it's something like this. We live for and intensely guard our me time because behind the surface, we believe that that is what life is truly about. That's when I'm most alive. But there is is another piece to this. See, living for pleasure can also be used as an escape from pain. We can use pleasure to, to numb the pain in our lives or escape to avoid something that we believe will be hard or painful. Because of the momentary pleasure that that escape brings, it feeds into our ongoing desire to, f- to find meaning and comfort in those escapes. So what about this identity of pleasure? Does it line up with Jesus? Or, or is it an empty identity rooted in a philosophy and tradition that's being passed down by man? Okay, what about... What about this last one? This last one's a little weird, right? What about the belief that, I, that who I am is based on who I'm attracted to? See, 
this is a big one that, that teens and kids, and I got to say, are, all the way down in elementary school are facing, but it's also a really hard one and a really confusing one for those of us who are older to get a handle on. So, so let me give you a, a quick example here. Here's another finding from the Barna study. One third of teenagers in this research study indicated that gender is how a person feels inside and not the birth sex. Seven out of 10 believe it's acceptable to be born one gender and feel like another, 69%. Now, understand, that has to do with how one views one's own, uh, one's own gender. But there is a second piece in that puzzle. Because students are increasingly being encouraged to think of themselves in terms of, how, of gender by combining what gender they feel like on the inside along with who they are sexually attracted to. So depending on if they're attracted to the opposite gender, both genders, the same gender, no one it can keep going on, there are gender terms to help you define your gender identity. At one point, Facebook even had 58 gender options for their users to list their gender identity. Now, we could, we could spend a lot of time unpacking this, but, but I feel like we need to zoom in on the philosophy that's really at work behind the scenes. See, here, here's, the, here's the first piece, and it's foundational. It's the belief that no one has the right to define who we are other than ourselves. And the second piece is this. It's that our source of meaning and happiness comes from our relationship with others, which we get the right to define. What, what happiness and that relationship looks like. But, but here's the twist. Once we've determined who gives us the most pleasure and makes us the most happy, our sense of self is now defined by that other person. And here is the end result for students when they're buying into this philosophy. Their sense of who they are is just as fluid and confusing as the relationships they're in. And it leads to a lot of stress and confusion for students. But here's the question again, right? Does this philosophy and tradition lead to an identity that lines up with Jesus? Or is it empty? Now, Paul, as he's wrestling with, with the things that the Colossians are facing, he, he answers what's, what's the real full identity? See, he writes to the Colossians, and he wants them to remember and never forget that they have an alternative, an identity that has already given them the fullness and stability, the meaning and purpose that they're longing for, which is in Christ. Here's, here's the next point in your, for your notes. A full identity equals Christ. See, in verse 10, Paul says, you have been filled in him. See, Paul is calling the Colossians to keep pursuing Jesus, to find our satisfaction in him. And when we do, the other philosophies and teachings that offer us meaning will actually become less attractive to us. And we'll see them for what they are, empty. Here's the next point. Jesus is the only identity that fully satisfied and satisfies See, the reality is when we build our identity on someone or something other than Jesus, one day it will fail us. As a student, it might be this. You know, it might be that we fail a class or a lot of classes 
that we feel like, you know what, really, I should have passed that. And because we didn't, we call into question, who am I really? What, what is my life supposed to be about? And I, I just don't know anymore. Or, or it might be that someone better, is better than us at our job or, or our sports, and we don't get that promotion or position that we really wanted. It might be that the fun and pleasure we're building our life on just doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't satisfy us anymore. It might be that the relationships with others, which, which we let define us, they've blown up and they're gone. And, and when these things, and we could add more things into there, when they fail us, our identity, our sense of who we are crumbles right along with it. But, but here, here's the other side of this, right? What if... What if these identities that we're buying into, they don't actually seem to fail us? Here's here's the other question. Would Jesus see that that identity that we built on is what life is supposed to be about? See, when Jesus calls us to look back over our life with him in eternity and give an account for our life, would what we found our identity in, our, our delight in, would it delight Jesus Or would it disappoint him? Here's where Paul went. This is Philippians 1, 21. Paul says this, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is what is most satisfying to, what delights Paul. He he finds his meaning and his purpose in his relationship with Jesus. And Jesus has become his full identity. He doesn't need anything else. Jesus is everything to him. So taking all this stuff that we just talked about, what does it it mean for us? I want us to take a quick moment here and think about some things that are in our life that give us a lot of pleasure and meaning. Think about it this way. Think about something that you know would, would throw you for a loop and might hurt if it wasn't in your life. It might be something that's already in your life, or it might be something that you're looking forward to and you wish was in your life. And maybe you're already hurting over it right now. Okay. Keep that in mind. Put that in your mind. Up on the screen is the next bullet point. When fill-in-the-blank comes, and when... Fill in the blank goes, Christ is still your full identity. What you just thought about, put in those blanks. When that comes or when that goes, here is the reality of a life built on Christ. Christ is still your identity. When there is delight in something that you've been blessed with, Christ is still your identity, not that thing. When it blows up or goes away, Christ is still your identity, your anchor. You hold on to him so that when it comes and when it goes, Christ is still your identity. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let me think about what what could we fill in those blanks. For students, it might sound something like this. When my grades come and my grades go... Christ is still my full identity. 
Graduates, it might be something like this. When my chosen career comes or my chosen career goes, Christ is still my full identity. Or maybe when a dating relationship comes or a dating relationship goes, Christ is still my full identity. Now, as adults, maybe we need to put some of these things in the blank. My work or or my money or or my health, my family, my, my free time. So here's the reminder and the application. There are a lot of things, good and bad, that we might desire to build our identity on. But when we do, they take the place of Christ in our lives. So how do we keep on alert and not be taken captive by those things as adults, as students, as graduates? Here's here's one thing. Pursue Christ. Keep him first. Let him become your greatest delight as he fills you with a fullness of who he is. In fact, the fullness that you already have in him. Let me go a little bit more and give some application for us as older adults who are not a part of Gen Z. Here's a, here's a couple of quick applications because we, we need to consider this question. As parents and spiritual parents, what does it mean to spiritually protect the younger generations? Is it this? Do we, do we do everything we can to keep the younger generations from hearing the empty traditions and philosophies altogether? Do we, do we send our kids to a private school or, or maybe homeschool them? Now, while those things can be good, the reality is, no matter how hard we try to keep them from hearing those philosophies, they will. So the question is, how will they process these philosophies and traditions when they hear them? Will they receive them as wisdom and let it guide their lives, or will they compare it to the richness and fullness of a life and identity in Christ? and disregard them as empty philosophies and traditions that come from man. And how are they going to learn to do that? Now, here again, we have to look at the model of Paul. Because Paul isn't just calling the Colossians to be filled with Christ and moving on. He's living a life filled with Christ himself. So here's the next bullet for your notes. We spiritually protect the younger generations by being filled in Christ personally. We delight ourselves in Christ. We model what a life built on him looks like in our lives. And it also means that we become aware of what is happening on the inside of us as well. We keep an eye out for when someone or something is starting to become more influential, more satisfying and important to us than Christ. And we invite others to help us keep on guard too. And when we do buy into a false identity, because we will from time to time, we we confess it to God and we ask us to help us be satisfied in the richness and fullness of him again. Now, here's the reality. We can do all of these things. We can do them on the inside. We can do them ourselves. And we can still miss the opportunity to help those younger than us cultivate biblical discernment. Here's the next bullet. We spiritually protect the younger generations by cultivating biblical discernment. And here's what I mean by biblical discernment. See, when we look at biblical, it means that we are in God's word where we get to know who he is. And we're viewing the world through the lens of his word and not 
through other worldly philosophies and traditions. Discernment refers to putting on those lenses of the Bible and of who Jesus is in order to see which philosophies and traditions may be of Christ, according to Christ, and which ones are empty deceit of the world. And third, we are cultivating biblical discernment, which means we are a part of the process of growth. We are growing, both in our ability to biblically discern what is true and what is not true, what is Christ and what is not Christ, as well as encouraging the growth of biblical discernment in others. This means that we don't just do it ourselves, we help others do it too. And here's, here's the sub-points for your notes. We cultivate biblical discernment in ourselves and in others. Now, the most important things that younger generations need to see in adults is them in the process of discerning the difference between an identity in Christ and an identity of something else. They need to be invited into the process of Christ at work in us, Jesus at work in us, to watch you approach what could become a possible invading identity and hear what caused you to see and discern that that was not of Christ. And maybe to see you repent and what does that look like? And then to see you let Christ fill your identity. Now, just like each of us who are in a relationship with Jesus, every one of us needs spiritual discernment to look behind the values, behind the beliefs of the culture, to find out what's really going on. What identity are they offering? And then measure that up against of that which is of Christ. Our younger generations need them too. They need that too. In fact, they crave people who are willing to help them discern what is of Christ and what is not. So this means that they need to be encouraged. They need people walking with them and challenging them to do the hard work of thinking biblically in all areas of life and to become aware of the subtle messages that are constantly coming their way. That way, when the constant drumbeat of their life is the message is coming to them time and time again that meaning and happiness is found in something like a career, Christ and the things of Christ far outweigh the comfort that that career might be seeming like it's offering. Or, or, or maybe it's this. Maybe it's right, right here in, in school right now. Maybe it's when a friend begins to question their identity based on an attraction that they have to somebody or a lack of attraction, they know not only what it means to emphasize, empathize with that friend, and can understand and lovingly walk their friend through those beliefs that they're owning, but also lead them to an identity and the wholeness that they can have in Christ. Now, I want to stop here and pray for us all, because if we're honest, we need Jesus' help to, help to continually grow in our identity in him, to live with discernment and lovingly help others grow in that too. But here, here's the point, folks. The point is pursue Jesus. He's going to fill you up. He's the end goal. And when he is, everything else is not going to hold a candle to how amazingly awesome an identity and a life with Jesus is. And that's what we want to cultivate here in this church, in our lives, in the lives of the next generations. And students, 
you can help change the world and cultivate life where biblical discernment, where Jesus is the centerfold and anchor when everything else is going crazy in life. Because when your fill-in-the-blank comes and when your fill-in-the-blank goes, Christ is still your full identity. And I will tell you, in your world, with your friends, they need people who are anchored in an identity in Christ. Let's pray.